Welcome to the podcast, Crime Salad, where we talk true crime. I'm your host, Ashley, and with me always is my husband and partner in crime, Ricky. The purpose of this podcast is to honor the victims through ethical storytelling in the hopes of preventing future tragedies. We want our stories to resonate and educate others in hopes that some of these similar cases with identifiable patterns can be prevented. Now, before we jump in, please let us warn you that this is a true crime podcast. The details of this episode may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion advised. This case takes us to the town of Knoxville, Tennessee. In this town in the year of 2016, Emma Walker proudly supports the red, white, and black Bobcats by cheering on the football team under the Friday night lights. Emma was living it up during her high school experience as she was in the beginning months of her junior year of high school. And after high school, she had plans to become a neonatal nurse. But sadly, that would never happen as her life was tragically cut short far too soon. The 16-year-old was shot in the fall of 2016 by someone who didn't handle the breakup of a two-year relationship well. William Riley Gall, commonly referred to as Riley, seemed to go to unusual lengths to get her attention days after their relationship ended. Simultaneously, her parents, who were completely supportive and loving, and who knew about what was going on, tried to protect her from her obviously toxic and mentally unstable boyfriend. Despite her best efforts to stay away and repeated warnings from her family and her friends about his volatile and toxic behavior, it didn't stop his attempts to win Emma back. Now, just looking at a picture of Emma Walker, you can tell that she was thriving in her junior year of high school with cheering as her passion and a love for reading and motivating the crowd at football games. She was on her way to achieve greatness. I can totally tell that she would be an amazing neonatal nurse. Jill and Mark Walker, Emma's parents, were doing everything they could to keep her safe as possible away from Riley. You see, the couple had been dating for two years, and at the beginning of their relationship, Riley appeared to be quite normal. He came off as shy, but he had a good group of friends and was a star wide receiver on the high school football team where he and Emma both attended. He wasn't the guy to crave the center of attention. He was more of the type of guy who would keep to himself. And a circle of friends would later express their concerns about his silence, but he always seemed that he could eventually come around. When Riley had graduated from high school and was starting his first year of college as a freshman at Maryville College, Emma was a junior, still in high school. And during this time, Emma's family noticed that she was unusually distant, as more independent teenagers often are. 
She would spend most of her free time in her room texting or Snapchatting with Riley. It was quickly discovered that the way he spoke to Emma was quite violent. And that's really what got Emma's parents to intervene. Riley would send Emma nasty, hateful messages on Snapchat. One message read, I hate you. I hate everything about you. You're the biggest bitch I've ever come in contact with. You're no longer alive to me. I'll look you up in the obituary. F you. That's pretty rough. Yeah. Emma and her parents would both agree that these texts were extremely concerning. When Emma spoke up, he would simply dismiss it, claiming that he was just angry at the moment. Then the tone would completely switch. He'd apologize to her and would send loving, reassuring messages that were meant to fix the hurtful things that he said. And they could go on like he didn't just wish for her to die. This was a continued pattern. It seems that when a toxic message was sent, it would be followed by a flowery love message to band-aid the hurtful words. Yeah, I mean, that's not fair to her. You can't just, like, say horrible things and then be like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it. I was mad. Like extremely hurtful things. Yeah, especially when it's a repeated pattern over and over. Yeah. Now, Riley would post about how much he adored Emma. And, I mean, it seemed like they were having a good time when they were together from the pictures that were posted on Facebook. They were the ideal high school sweetheart couple, but the fear and the abuse that he projected onto Emma behind the fun, loving pictures did not reflect the loving and caring person that he presented himself to be. After discovering the hateful messages, Emma's parents decided to intervene. They took Emma's phone and they banned him from contacting her. Good. Without a source of contact, Riley gave Emma an old iPod so that they could continue to text each other back and forth. And he came across as a very controlling individual who would tell her what she could and could not wear. And it appeared to get worse when he attempted to isolate her from her friends and her family. Many abusers use this tactic to ensure that they are ultimately in control. And Ricky, you remember, as a teenager, everything is so new. New love is happening. You're learning how to deal with different people and their personalities. And naturally, at this age, you start to become more independent. It's all a part of growing up. Right. Another thing to think about, too, though, is he's now at college. So it's like, you know, she's away from him, too which could be a part of like why he feels like he has to control her even more. True, possibly. But the behavior that Riley showed, to me, isn't love at all. And as we discuss further, you will begin to really see someone like Riley is all about themselves and their feelings and never really seems too concerned with others. Around Halloween of 2016, her parents, in an attempt to keep her away from Riley, only allowed her to leave for school, work, or cheerleading. And around this time, things were getting better. They noticed that Emma started to be more like herself again. She would socialize with her family and eat dinner with them, and she wouldn't just hide away in her room. I think it's safe to say that Emma started to realize that she would be much happier without Riley in her life. She texted her friend Keegan, done for good, indicating that she was ending the relationship with Riley once and for all. And this appeared to be a particularly hard blow for Riley. His friends said he appeared depressed and mopey. And he even admitted that he was so depressed that he contemplated suicide. Seeing that Emma was moving on from Riley, her parents let Emma attend a get-together at a friend's house on November 17, 2016, where she met up with other students from her school. 
And while socializing with everyone there, Emma started to get strange text messages from an unknown number. Her friend Zach Green was at the house as well, and Emma pulled him aside to tell him about it. The text message read, Go to your car with your keys. Go alone. I've got someone you love. And if you don't comply, I will hurt them. It's a pretty suspicious message. Like, she had to have had her doubts. Yeah, and Emma assumed that it was one of Riley's friends playing a prank on her. But if that were the case, it would still be pretty frightening to get a text like that. Pretty extreme, if you ask me. Now, being that she had a clue that this was a prank, she texted back threatening to call the police. And the person on the other phone wanted to give a sense of urgency a bit more by taking it up a notch and responding, I'm no one's friend. We have him now. If you don't care about him anymore, then it shouldn't bother you. Call the police and he dies. Your choice. If you'd like to hear his final screams, give me a call. He's in a ditch beside the house. It's a shame you can all of a sudden not value someone's life. Emma seemed a bit more concerned as she was reading this text coming in, especially when Emma read that someone she knew was left in a ditch outside. So whoever sent this message obviously knows where Emma is. Right. And it turns out that this was slightly true. Emma and her friend Zach went outside together to find a body lying face down in a ditch near the house. It was dark outside, but with the glow from the streetlight, they identified this person helplessly laying in a ditch as no one other than Riley Gall. So they walk up to him as he pulls his head up. Riley seems confused, like he doesn't know what happened. He asked, where am I? How did I get here? And then he said, line. No, I'm just <laughs> End scene. Riley looked like he was maybe tossed around a bit, like possibly beat up by someone. And Emma seemed to not know what really to think. What are the chances of Riley just being dumped here by her friend's house? Although this was quite weird and shocking, Emma could completely see through this act. She told him that they just broke up and to leave her alone. So did he actually, like, have bruises on him like did he pull like a full fight club and like beat himself up it doesn't say anything about that but he could have now after feeling rejected riley walked away and he later called his friend noah walton to tell him that he had just been abducted and he explained that these people knocked him out stole his car threw him in a van and dumped him in the middle of nowhere on the phone he appeared to be tearful and exhausted But Noah had his doubts, particularly when he warned Noah not to contact authorities about the whole thing. His acting skills didn't really convince anyone that he had just been kidnapped that night because no one called the police. No Golden Globe. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P. I'll admit it, there was a time when I realized that therapy would be beneficial for my overall well-being. Despite this understanding, my mind seemed to resist the idea, creating a barrier between me and seeking professional help. It was as if my brain was apprehensive to talk about my emotions and confronting the underlying issues that needed attention. However, deep down, I knew that embracing therapy would be a courageous step towards personal growth and healing. Going to therapy has helped me stay on track and it keeps me grounded. Talking to a licensed therapist can help you develop positive ways to cope and establish boundaries, both of which are essential in today's world. 
I hope that you'll use this sponsorship mention as motivation to become the best version of yourself possible. BetterHelp is completely online and it's designed to be convenient and flexible for your busy schedule. And setting up therapy is as easy as filling out a brief questionnaire and getting matched with a licensed therapist. And if that one doesn't work for you, you can easily switch at no additional charge. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash crime salad today to get 10% off your first month. Now the following morning, Emma went home and she was home alone and she noticed someone was walking down her street. They were covered in all black, wearing glasses and a black hoodie and black gloves. Now, a teenager home alone seeing this, it would be quite frightening. Was this a burglar walking down the street? Well, that person walked up to her front door and rang the doorbell a few times. Of course, Emma didn't answer the door. She texted her friend, I'm home alone and somebody in all black walked down my street and came to my door and rang the doorbell over and over again, adding, I thought I was going to die. Then William Riley Gall got exactly what he wanted from Emma, Not knowing what to do, she texted the one person who seemed to really care for her and would do anything for her. Riley got a text from Emma saying, I hate you, but I need you right now. So Riley finally got what he wanted. Yes, the hero is coming to save the day. He sent a text back saying, I'm coming, I'm speeding, just give me a minute. Now during this time, Jill, Emma's mother, made plans to meet up with Emma, but Emma didn't show up. And because of this, Jill went home to see what was going on. That was when she found Emma and Riley in the front yard. Her mom, in disbelief, was confused as to why Riley was over, especially when no one was home, and they both knew that they weren't allowed to be talking. Jill politely asked Riley to leave, but Riley refused and said that he was there to help Emma and he wanted to make sure Emma was okay. As Riley was talking, Jill interrupted him and told him that he needed to leave. And so he left. Emma was clearly frightened. Did she just witness a burglar or possibly a stalker attempting to break in her home? Jill, on the other hand, she wasn't convinced at all, not even for a minute. She could see right through Riley, and she knew that it was him all along. Emma previously told her about the incident where he was laying in the ditch by her friend's house, acting like he was kidnapped and was dropped off conveniently near the house where Emma just so happened to be. And then for this to happen, Jill suspected it was only Riley trying to get Emma's attention, who was craving any attention at all from Emma because he knew that he lost control over their relationship. But Emma still insisted it wasn't him this time. I mean, why would anyone really do something like this and then switch and come over to help? Like, he saved the day. Yeah, and she's young, too. I mean, she's got to be pretty naive, you know? I mean... No matter how you look at it, this is terrifying because who really resorts to such measures to get attention from someone? And after all this, Riley almost had it. Like, this was his, like, saving grace moment. Like, he got to be the hero. He finally shows up and the mom gets in the way. So it makes you wonder, like, is he done? Like, is there anything more he's going to try? Like, what other surprises does he have up his sleeve? Yeah, he's definitely relentless. Now, after a strange and eventful weekend, life at the Walker residence appeared to have returned to normal on Sunday evening. Emma headed to bed shortly after midnight, texting her friend about a homework assignment, then went to bed. It was just another ordinary night. 
On the following morning, Monday, November 21st, 2016, Jill Walker entered her daughter's room to wake her up for school. Jill called Emma's name just a little after 6 a.m., but there was no response. She gently shook her leg to wake her up, but there was no movement. Her mom took a moment to check her pulse, and there was absolutely nothing. In a state of pure shock, Jill immediately dialed 911. With tears streaming down her face, she desperately informed the dispatcher that her 16-year-old daughter was unresponsive. The police arrived at the house. It was Deputy Nikki Buells from the Knox County Sheriff's Office. The call was initially taken as a suicide. Starting with the exterior of the house, the lead forensic technician carefully captured photographs of the house. The deputy then walked into Emma's room and immediately noticed a hole in the wall that appeared to be the result of a gunshot. And upon arriving at the scene, Lieutenant Alan Merritt of the Knox County Sheriff's Office began his examination of the exterior of the house. It was observed that there was a bullet hole on the exterior of the house, positioned at shoulder height. Adding to their suspicion, there were two shell casings on the ground. Another bullet hole was discovered on the opposite side of the house, roughly at the same height. From the looks of it, it appeared that there were two shots fired from outside of the house. One bullet hit her right behind her left ear, and the second bullet was lodged into the pillow. The investigators threw the possible suicide theory out the window. So the big question was, who would shoot this 16-year-old girl? I could probably take a guess. And Ricky, you probably would be right. Once it was discovered that this was now a crime scene, the family had to leave the property. But Emma's parents weren't told anything. They didn't even know that she was shot. And they didn't know about the bullet holes that were found outside the house. Along with gathering evidence, interviews began. And in those interviews, many people brought up the name William Riley Gall, the ex-boyfriend. Of course. When putting together his behavior and their recent breakup, it makes sense that he could have been the one who did this. The devastation of losing Emma was very heart-wrenching to her family and her friends. The family organized a vigil at the high school that was held the day after she was found lifeless in her bed on that morning. Wow, that's awful. So when the mom walked in, did she not see blood or anything like that? That's a good question. Actually, there was just a little bit of blood found on her pillow where she was shot behind her ear. Wow, just a little bit of blood. Yeah. And the bullet holes the detective described were like the size of a ballpoint pen. Mm, like small bullets. So did they have a one-story house? Yeah, it was a one-story house. And it seems like her room was right at the level where... Like ground level. Yeah, ground level. So being that the police had an apparent homicide on their hands, it was time to get down to business. Police had people within Emma's circle coming in for questioning. Riley's friends told detectives that they began to become concerned for Riley's well-being. Riley was saying off-the-wall things, saying that he was scared people were out to get him and Emma. And another friend told detectives that Riley had asked him if he knew how to get fingerprints off a gun. That's a weird question. Yeah, and his friend thought so too. His friend said, well, obviously not, and told him to never ask him anything like that ever again. Riley made it seem like, well, he didn't really want to know. Oh, he was asking for a friend then, right? Yeah, that's exactly what he told him. His roommate was asking him about it. Hmm. Now, once Riley had the chance to sit down with the detectives, they learned quickly that the heartbroken boyfriend who they thought would show signs of grief really had no emotion at all, even referring to Emma as the girl. 
When the detective wanted more details of who he was talking about when he says the girl, Riley said the girl who died. The dark undertone of his words describing Emma as the girl instead of saying her name or saying my girlfriend or my ex-girlfriend gave hints that he didn't have a lot of concern or even any signs that he was grieving because his ex-girlfriend was just murdered. Police wanted to get into the details of where he was in the last 72 hours. And he explained that he was trying to speak with Emma that weekend, but she wouldn't give in. But she gave him the opportunity. If he would write her paper, she would talk to him. And that seemed like it didn't pan out because on Sunday, he explained he used his friend's phone while he was on campus to call her. And he explained that the call didn't go very well. Emma said a bunch of cruel stuff and blocked that number. Oh, so he's the victim now. He's kind of twisting it that way, isn't he? He went on to explain that he went to his grandparents' house, then he drove back to campus, and he sat in his car crying for almost two to three hours. And while he was explaining this sad sob story of his high school sweetheart breakup, he explained it with noticeably no emotion, like he was completely unbothered by it. Maybe as if the problem was not a problem anymore. The detective definitely got the feeling that Riley was completely disconnected, and it almost felt like this was all rehearsed. Possibly when he went to his grandparents' house for a quick visit before crying in the car was when he stole the gun. Detectives wanted to know more about this gun and what Riley had to say about it. But at the time, Riley didn't know what the police knew about this gun. The spent shell casings, the bullet holes, and he didn't know that his grandfather had actually reported the 9mm gun missing before Emma was even murdered. And of course, what Riley's friends already told the police, if they even spoke to the police. When they asked him about the gun, Riley had no clue where it was. He also, of course, denied asking his friend how to remove fingerprints from a gun. When the detectives asked for Riley's cell phone, Riley asked if he was a suspect. Curious about his reaction, the detective then asked him, should you be? But Riley was adamant that he had nothing to do with the murder of Emma. This interview lasted about two and a half hours, and the police felt like they weren't getting anywhere. Riley was then allowed to leave, and Riley thought that he just got off the hook. He got away with murder. That's what he thought. But Riley has a bit of a problem. He just has to get rid of one thing. The gun. Exactly. Once he left the police station, he immediately texted his friend Alex McCarty, asking him why he told the police about the gun. Riley told his friend not to talk to the police anymore. Riley's friends, Alex and Noah, had their suspicions about Riley being the one who killed Emma, although he never really fully came out and said it. They agreed to help the police by doing some undercover work. The night after Emma was murdered, police wired up Riley's two friends with a microphone so that they could listen to their conversations and gave them a hidden camera that was disguised as a key fob. Although this was the night after Emma died, the boys decided to get together to play video games and hang out. The two boys waited patiently as Riley arrived. To Alex and Noah, this was most likely a very stressful thing to do considering Riley was clearly responsible for Emma's death. If he could murder her without any guilt or remorse, could he do the same thing to his friends? Yeah, and I mean, he has a gun. So, like, what if he becomes suspicious of his friends? What if he sees a microphone or something, or he completely snaps? 
Now, going into this, the two friends understood the possible dangers that could happen. But they really wanted to help out because someone they knew, Emma Walker, was just murdered. And they believed that Riley had something to do with it. Now, doing this was definitely risky, but it's exactly what the police needed to get enough evidence to pin Riley to the murder. The two brave teens hung out with Riley like it was a typical boys' night. Riley seemed unbothered that the girl that he was so deeply in love with was now dead. They talked about Emma getting shot, which left Riley to feel like he had two good friends that he could trust. And Alex and Noah reassured him that they have his back. Riley told them that he needs to get rid of the gun. The two friends motivated him to do whatever he needed to do. They got ready, they grabbed a snack, and they took off to get rid of the evidence. The plan was to throw everything into the river. He also wanted to dispose of the black gloves and hoodie, the clothes that he was wearing when Emma thought that there was a burglar attempting to break into the house. Bringing his friends along to get rid of the murder evidence gave him confidence that they would be there for him. And they would also be less likely to talk to the police because now they would be involved in hiding the evidence. And this was all while police were listening in to the very conversation and following them to their destination. As the boys were sitting in the car talking about the very gun, shockingly realizing that this was an actual gun, the gun that killed Emma, the police arrived and they told everyone to put their arms out the window. Man, that's scary. Yeah, because this also could have been a time where Riley reacted having a gun with bullets available. However, they detained Riley, who was sitting in the front passenger seat, and confirmed the serial number on the gun that was in fact a match to his grandfather's missing gun. Now, while looking into this case, we found an interesting article. According to psychologytoday.com, there are three stages of a dangerously obsessive person. Now, just to be clear, this isn't relationship advice from us. This was something that we found that can relate to this case. Not scientists. We'll have the link in the description if you want to check this article out. It's written by Joni E. Johnston, and she explains how any relationship can give off extreme, intense excitement because it's new and it's exciting and it's fun, but describes what signs can we recognize in relationships that actually are red flags. So here are the three stages that she highlights to consider as red flags. The first stage is called the absorbed state. Ricky, could you guess what that is? Like being obsessive. Yeah, this could be very obsessive behavior. Someone who showers you with gifts, gets you expensive dinners. They could insist on getting married too soon after just knowing someone for after a couple days. Well, at least you're not describing me. <laughs> yeah, you're always taking me out to Taco Bell for my date. It's expensive. Taco Bell is expensive. I think we spent, what, like $50 last time? Yeah. And she explains that it can be difficult to recognize these things being a problem at first. Because who doesn't like feeling like a queen and getting a bunch of gifts and feeling so special like they're in a fairy tale story? I know I do. Now, it's important to recognize that these are common patterns which start and then they evolve into darker behaviors later on in an abusive relationship. And it appears that a victim of this doesn't always recognize it as a red flag. But then later on, this lives as an aha moment once they're no longer in that relationship and they can see the overall big picture. Yeah, like blind to it. Love is blind, right? 
The second stage is called the agitated stage, which is when someone exhibits intense jealousy to the point where they become upset when you don't give them your full attention. The constant texting, calling, and unexpected visits, demanding 100% of your attention. This is not love and it's not healthy. In severe circumstances, individuals have been cut off from all of their friends and their family. Consequently, they are the only person that they turn to for advice or guidance and hold total control over them. And it may be very risky to try to end the relationship at this point. And so that takes us to the third stage, the aggressive stage. So when someone's anger gets to the next level, they reach the aggressive stage. Since you're not under their control, they may do things to make you feel very unsafe. Like they may stalk you. They could make up stories to scare you, like Riley did in this case. They might even get violent and make threats against you or even threaten suicide. They could call your friends, your family, or place of work to harass you. They could show up without being asked. Unfortunately, this is a very dangerous time. So the person who made you feel like a queen turns into this dangerous aggressor. That is not love. These things can really go unnoticed when you're the one in the relationship. Because, like Ricky said, you can be completely blind to it. Love is blind, right? Now, sadly, this is all too common, and I know we talk about it a lot, but we can't share it enough. If you or someone is in danger or you're just looking for some more information on this, you can visit thehotline.org or you can text START to 88788, and they can help you with a safe way of disconnecting yourself from an abusive relationship. Because as we know it, the most dangerous time for someone in a relationship can be when the relationship ends. In May of 2018, the defense claimed that Riley never intended to harm Emma, claiming that he wouldn't have known where she was to shoot and kill her. And this was only an attempt to scare Emma, hoping that she would get scared and call Riley, just like she did when the suspicious man was continuously ringing the doorbell and he dropped everything to save the day. But his luck with that didn't go very well. Regardless of his intentions, he purposefully shot the gun into the side of the house, killing Emma, and the defense wasn't strong enough to overrule that fact. And so Riley was found guilty of stalking, theft, reckless endangerment, possession of a firearm during a dangerous felony, and first-degree murder. And in the state of Tennessee, the first-degree murder charge that the 19-year-old received was given an automatic life sentence. Good. Yep. You know, though, I don't understand the whole gunshot in the wall thing, though. Like... Was he just shooting into the wall to scare her? Like, was he actually trying to kill her? I mean, that's a, how are you really going to shoot through a wall and hit someone, you know, in the head? Yeah, unless he kind of figured out where her bed frame was and like where her head would have been. It does make it like pretty tricky. I do agree. Yeah. But at the same time, who shoots a gun into someone's room? Either way, it's completely messed up. But like, I think that's where the disagreement is. Mm -hmm. But But yeah, I completely agree. Now, how about we give a moment of respect for the two boys, Alex and Noah, Riley's old friends, for doing the right thing? I mean... Yeah, that took guts. Yeah, I think it's awesome to hear the bravery of the two boys because, I mean, they could have easily said, you know what, I'm going to be there for my friend and help him out. I'm going to stick by his side. Yeah, they could have refused to talk completely. Right, but they did the right thing and thinking about how nervous they probably were. I mean, the murderer was in possession of a gun, he could have easily turned on them with the slightest suspicion. 
It would just be very scary. And I don't know about you, Ricky, but after doing this episode, I came to realize that relationships, like whenever you're a teenager, they're extremely difficult. Oh, yeah. I like remember being told when I was 13 or 14 years old, if you're jealous, that just means that you really like someone. Yeah. Relationships when you're younger, I think, especially when it gets serious, I mean, they become so toxic. You know, and it's just normalized. I know I went through it. And I know you went through it mm-hmm. like in our high school. Yeah, for sure. Years. I mean, all of the psychology stages that we went through, it's like I'm guilty of all three of those when I was younger. Except one. You could work on the showering of the gifts. You can work on that one a oh, little that, bit more. That goes both ways. <laughs> but yeah, I was kind of taught to be like this really jealous person. Even though I may not felt that way, I felt like that's what you had to do. I don't know if any of you feel kind of like that's what you did, but. Yeah. I know, like, specifically, I've told people, like, I'm jealous because I like you. Yeah, I did the same thing. (laughs) Like, that's horrible. But really, that's not healthy at all. And it's even, you know, like, the music that we used to listen to. Like, I even remember, like, a Britney Spears song, Crazy. Like, you drive me crazy. And it's just like, why do we have to, like, teach our kids to just be, like, obsessed with our love? Like, that's just so weird. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time... We went through those things, and I feel like it's really important in today's world to teach healthy relationships, even in school. And, you know, looking back in my teenage years during health class, I remember them talking about sex and STDs and all these different things. But never once did they mention domestic violence, like how to have a healthy relationship with someone. They just focused on, like, sex is bad, you're going to get STD, and But they never really talked about like what a good relationship looks like because who knows, a child may have parents who show them a horrible, abusive relationship and they might not know that that's wrong. So it's kind of like continuing this pattern. I feel like it's important to talk about domestic violence to your kids. Like we even talk about it with our teenager. Like it's important to have a healthy relationship. It's important to communicate. It's not healthy to be jealous or control somebody or not let them talk to their friends or control what they do. Like, they're living their life, and you're living your life as an enhancement. Like, you guys should be partners instead of... I agree. And I, I think a lot of times when things get more serious when you're younger, too, you you start to isolate, right? You know, you're not hanging out with the group as much because you're more serious and you want to go on dates. Yeah, like, the feeling of love is extreme at first. So it's kind of hard to really balance out things. Yeah. And that's it for this week's episode. And if you like this episode and want to show your love and support to Crime Salad, Ricky and I, we would really appreciate it if you shoot us a five-star review. We're all about those positive vibes here at Crime Salad, and we thank you so much for being a part of that. Also, we have a few side salads prepared for you. So if you're not already, you can become a patron or an Apple Plus subscriber. Side salads are our fun way of calling what is a bonus episode. And of course, they're ad-free and you also get ad-free content within all of our episodes that we have on our feed. Thank you all so much. We couldn't do this podcast without you. Seriously. We have more coming up soon. We can't wait to share with you more interesting crime salad, true crime. We will see you next time. We will.